the frustration with with my position had nothing to do with you. So my anger would have been misplaced if I put it on you. Mm-hmm. And Lay wouldn't have hurt if I was angry or if I acted out. Mm-hmm. Well, that wouldn't have bothered Lay. That would have given him that would have made him correct in that decision. Mm-hmm. And the only people that would have hurt would have been the kids we work with. Welcome to the Job 87 Podcast with your host, Jason Campbell. Today's episode of the Job 87 Podcast is with James Van Hook, a good friend of mine. James is currently the head basketball coach of Scarborough High School and we met a handful of years ago uh, when we coached against each other as sub-varsity coaches. And then we're going to talk a little bit about how we work together, our relationship there, and a little bit more. But before we get too deep into the episode, because he's a good friend of mine, I have to talk about this part, which we didn't talk about in the episode. My first few, my first few Minutes, uh, as a co-worker with James at Memorial High School, we were told to do inventory of all the things that we have, which is part of the job. No biggie. And we start to do inventory and we're talking and just kind of getting to know each other uh, a little bit better. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see James dancing. There's no music playing, but he just, he's getting after it. And I'm like, what in the, what is happening? You know, you kind of side eye a little bit, but James is just having a good old time and, and we are, you know, start to laugh and joke and our relationship from that point just took off. And he's a really good friend of mine and I, I'm very proud to say that he has helped me in many more ways than one. He's helped me way more times than I've ever helped him. And I'm proud to say he's one of my friends. So please sit back and enjoy this episode uh, with James Van Hook and uh, listen to his journey, uh, some of his struggles, uh, and, and how his path has done the small roller coaster. And, and he's on the ascent now. And I don't think there's any more going back down in this roller coaster. I think that uh, he's at a really good place. Uh, and uh, I love to watch where it goes. So. Thank you again for tuning in to the Job 87 podcast, and here we go. Uh, so tell me about James Van Hook. Who is, who is James Van Hook? Oh, man, that's deep. Uh, I don't like to describe myself using adjective because I feel like the second you come out and say, well, this is what I am. It's, you know, if you have the old Yusef Larryism, if you have to say it, is it really true? Mm. So I think everybody has patterns kind of at work around them. Let me tell you some patterns that I always fall into. Um, If I become a part of something, I'm usually more often than not asked to be thrown into a leadership role of some kind. Um, I haven't figured out why that is. If you know, let me know. Uh, another role I play in in my life is 
have you ever seen the romantic comedies or the romance movies where somebody gets out of a really bad relationship and then like the good old boy from the farm like comes into the picture and that's the new love interest? Mm-hmm. That's me. Mm-hmm. I'm the youth pastor you date after the abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. I've been that. That's kind of how I fell into my marriage. I didn't fall into it. I would try to be personal about it, but that's that's what I was for Katie. Mm-hmm. And then I've been that professionally. Uh, this is the third time I've fallen into it where it's just a really bad situation and I come in and have to, you know, revitalize and rebuild and build relationships and sort of move things in a better direction. I don't know why I'm thrown into that. And then... Um, Bring back some more love. Yeah, right. usually, usually, where there's just been an absence of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, over the last eight, nine years, uh, I've my little personal philosophy is I believe that 95 to 99% of the people are mirrors. And what I mean by that is they are going to act the way with you that you... They're going to they're gonna give back what you give them. Mm-hmm. And so I try to model that as often as I can. And I make mistakes, and there's always exceptions. But uh, I'm not here to talk about that 1% to 5%. Like, most people are good people. And if you give them love and kindness and, you know, you respect their boundaries and you put yours up, you know, most relationships can be positive. Mm-hmm. So so you, you touched on, on marriage. Um, how did you meet Katie? So Katie and I... Uh, we're both dating other people when we met. Uh, and I saw her, she was a lifeguard when we were training to be counselors uh, at a camp up on Lake Livingston. And she was gorgeous, uh, just gorgeous. But we were both dating other people and uh, we became friends. Uh, actually, tr- like really trusted each other, had a lot of confidence in each other. And then those relationships came to horrific ends. Um, and we just kind of looked at each other like, well, maybe this this could work, um, and it did. And like 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 I talked about, like we came into each other's lives at a point where we both thought we were kind of difficult to love, and uh, we were exactly what each other needed at the right time. So I've I've known you for a long time, uh, and you know, considering you know how long I've been coaching, we've been coaching in general, but outside of coaching, because coaching is a different animal, you genuinely, and I say that, but I, and I mean that, genuinely seem like an upbeat, happy type of person. So what made you, and I don't, I don't know that every day, but what made you feel like you were hard to love? Um, I was coming out of a relationship that had ended really, really badly. Um, she had started a relationship without me knowing that we'd broken up, mm-hmm. and I took that really hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just didn't, I, I didn't feel like, I, I thought I was gonna be starting over, and I thought I was gonna be sort of having to relearn myself and that kind of thing, but then, then Katie came along, and things just clicked mm-hmm. in, a, in a hugely positive way. And, and we were a support system for each other in a, in a really kind of pivotal time in our life, because we came into each other's lives to kind of towards the end of college. Mm-hmm where we kind of need to have some direction. And uh, I tell people about Katie. Katie kind of helped me find a fifth gear I didn't know I had. I knew I couldn't be the same, just kind of affable, above average person that I thought I was. I had to be something better if I was going to keep her around. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I know that you uh, told me some things about 
making mistakes in a marriage and you know you want to learn from those mistakes so you don't have to make those mistakes any longer mm-hmm. and I thought you know in my early years of marriage I was like I should do that it's <laughs> as simple as that sounds a lot of people in my opinion don't do exactly that you know what I've made these mistakes let me learn from it and then grow so I don't do it again and I think I thought that was rock solid advice oh man it's it's tough because like I I wear the mistakes I make and when I hurt people I wear it really poorly and it really weighs on me and you don't hurt anybody more than the people you love the most mm-hmm. that's just the truth of it um, mm-hmm. you know we say things we don't mean or we don't think about what we say before we say it and so I, I hate feeling that way. I hate knowing that I've hurt somebody I cared about, even though, you know, I, even though it's the consequences of my own actions or my own words. And so I don't, I, I don't like repeat. If, if I can not repeat a mistake and go through that again and know that I've disappointed someone that I love, then I'd rather not do that. Absolutely. You know, and, and I, again, as simple as that sounds, you know, I've, I've listened to a lot of people talk about some of the issues and I'm like, y'all are in year one and year two. Like, this needs to get fixed. Yeah. You know, year three and year four, it's like, why are y'all still arguing about blank? Yeah. You know, and it's usually a lot of simple things where it just takes some growth. You know? Yeah, well, and, and I think in a marriage, you, your, your family, whether you care for it to or not, hardwires you in very specific ways. Mm-hmm. Some of those are really good. Mm-hmm. Some of those are, uh, are negative. Um. And when you get together with another person that didn't grow up in your house, mm-hmm. you're both hardwired for really good things and you're both hardwired for some, some things where you don't cope well or things that are triggers or, or just bad memories or traumatic for you. And you kind of, if you don't unpack those early mm-hmm. and get to the bottom of those and learn sort of how to care for each other through those negative ways you're wired, then it's, then, you know, you've got an uphill battle. You know, you, you said that those things need to be unpacked. And that does require a lot of trust, you know, uh, vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And that's scary. Um, I want to ask you, did you grow up in a situation where you could talk about, you know, like your your struggles and your feelings and emotions and angers and, and, and all that type of thing? Did you, you know, I know you had your brother, but was that something that you could you felt like you could talk to with him, your friends, your, your family? You know, my family is, I love my family, but they're not, uh, they're not big talkers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're, if you're at a family reunion with, at the Van Hook house, it's full of elephants that we don't talk about. Mm-hmm. There's always elephants in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Katie, first of all, I had really like a lot of the influences growing up were really close friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really like made me a more vocal person. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Katie, Katie just doesn't let, she will not let a sleeping dog lie. Like if there's an issue, we're going to get to the bottom of it. We're not going to go to bed angry. We're going to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, she, she doesn't like the sun to go down and, and for us to still be mad at each other, which means sometimes we have to talk till the sun comes up. Sure. Uh, sure. but, um, but at the same time issue, we, we try to not let issues linger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, I, I didn't come from a house where. You know, we talked about things all the time, and, and we talked about emotions and how things made us feel, and uh, so I, that those were those were learned behaviors from sort of people that parachuted in, into my life uh, that I'm really grateful for. You know, and I, I asked that question because uh, my family we are talkers. We talk about everything all the time, and 
And sometimes, like my older brother, he'll bring it up in the most uncomfortable time, whatever it is, just to be like, let's put it out there. You know, and, and Becky, my wife, would always say, you know, your family is very honest. It's <laughs> <laughs> a nice way to put it. Yeah, it's a nice like, way to put it. You know, if there's a problem, y'all talk about it, you know, and, and so forth. And sometimes there's a lot of uncomfortable moments. But you all met, uh, you and Katie met at Oklahoma State. No, we met at Camp Olympia. Camp Olympia. Because she's, okay. she's a Tulane graduate. I'm an Oklahoma State graduate. Oh, yes. nice. Yes. Nice. That's okay. Nice. So why, why Oklahoma State for you? I know you were in Oklahoma. Yeah. So, I mean, touching on basketball, like I thought, I, I just was convinced I was going to be a college basketball player. Um, and we can get into more of why I wasn't. And, uh, you know, I didn't really have like the, the, the people that are around me from a basketball standpoint didn't didn't make a point to educate me about D three and AIA, which I where I might have been a decent fit. Mm-hmm. So I had I was just in my head D one or bust. Well I'm a six foot three power forward. Mm-hmm. Uh there's really not a lot of room for growth on the basketball court. But mm-hmm. and you know, people always talk about like, well, what is you know, basketball keeps kids in school, it keeps kids engaged and uh, I was a high achieving kid academically, but it was always basketball that got me out of bed. You know what I mean? It wasn't. It wasn't. I got an AP calculus test that I got. I got to go learn this this formula. No, it was like I'm not gonna miss basketball practice, and I'm gonna go to school and keep my grades up so I can continue to have basketball. It just turned out I was good at it. Uh, the the academic piece. So Oklahoma State. Uh, there was some cold math to it, but also there was some familiarity to it. I grew up 45 minutes from there. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody wanted to talk to me about basketball after I, after I graduated high school. And so, what do you mean? uh, no colleges wanted to talk to me about basketball. It was actually after my freshman year when I made some connections at some, at some D3s mm-hmm. that I got a couple phone calls, mm-hmm. uh, Letourneau University being one. By then I was so entrenched at Oklahoma State with friends and a support system that I just couldn't, I couldn't leave it. So. Uh, so Oklahoma State was 45 minutes from the house I grew up in, and I knew a lot of friends going there. So there was some familiarity there, mm-hmm. but there was also some cold math. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tulane, Louisiana Tech, Kansas State offered me academic scholarships, mm-hmm. but and Oklahoma State actually offered me the least amount of money, but because it was in-state, it paid for the most. Mm-hmm. And so that was why Oklahoma State. It just it was there was a famili- a, famili- uh, a familiarity to it with the campus, mm-hmm. um, and the money that was offered it went the furthest. Um, and did you even apply to Oklahoma? No, I did not apply to Oklahoma. Mm. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're in Houston, and you, uh, whether, everybody knows those UT or those A&M fans here in Houston. Mm-hmm. Those are the OU fans I grew up around, mm-hmm. and I just, I just, I just didn't like that energy and that, yeah. uh, you know, it's a very accomplished school, great academics, has really great programs academically. Uh, and great athletic program. Softball mm-hmm. team just went bully on everybody. I think mm-hmm. we lost like three games the whole year. Mm-hmm. But back to back, I think. Right? Yes, but my exposure to their fan base was very smug. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't me. Mm-hmm. I went to the plucky underdog because I'm the plucky underdog. It makes sense. I mean, so and and you were uh, to to backtrack a little bit. You said that you were a six three power forward. Yeah. And and you know. Uh, you're above average height for me. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. On the audio, we can say that. <laughs> so, so saying that, uh, I know that there are a lot of guards that are 6'3". Yeah. Right? And a power forward, especially D1, is 6'7", 6'8", and up. Right. Easy. And up. 
and then and so forth. But what did you do well in high school? Um, let me Athletically. See. I would rebound well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would defend well. Uh, you know, more often than not, I was I was stuck on the other team's like best mm-hmm. uh, wing or or for or, uh, or post player mm-hmm. um, because I just I, I I played with energy. I played with effort, and um, I was technically good. Like I could front. I could do the little dance of front and a post and three quarter, and then swinging around to a block out, and mm-hmm. um, had a good nose for the ball. Uh, I would be so amped up in games that I really couldn't do anything offensively. Like, mm-hmm. everything was tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, yeah. And so, in hindsight, like, you know, uh, I would have started freshman year training guard skills. Mm-hmm. Ball handling, shooting, and just being a knockdown shooter, being a lead guard, uh, and being a lot quicker than I was. Uh, but again, didn't have the, the basketball influences in my life weren't putting that voice in my ear. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I wasn't self-aware as a teenager to know these things. And you know, in hindsight of being in my thirties, like, man, you know, you hear all these stories about people being in the gym four, five, six, even eight hours a day. Like that's what it takes to be at that level. Correct. Um, and honestly, I, I was king of the 45 hour, the 45 minute hour long workout. Like mm-hmm. I was great with that, mm-hmm. but that was never going to be enough to get me. I was, uh, there was a disconnect between how I knew how to work and what my goals were. Sure. And as a, as a, as an old, as an older person, I can see that. Oh, absolutely. Right. And again, uh, when uh, the, the teenagers that we have coached, not specifically, but in, in general, teenagers that we have coached, a lot of kids really don't understand that D3 is, is perfectly fine with D3 mm-hmm. or JUCO or NAIA or whatever else, because D1 is elite, right? It's elite yeah. in one way or the other. And D2 is not far behind. No. And D3, when I, I tell a lot of our guys, you couldn't play for that D3. That D three team, you think you come in and start and get all these minutes? It's not that easy. Mm-hmm. But you know, again, when you're young, you feel like you have all the answers. Yep. You know, and and there's that, again, that that disconnect where it's it's not as easy as you think. And for one, you're five foot seven. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. But but uh, what you could do at five seven, that six foot guy can do as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so forth. But so so you went to OK State, Oklahoma State. And uh, you graduated. What was your What was your your goal? As uh, I mean, coming out, what was your major and all that? What oh, that's a that's an interesting question. I changed my major four times. Mm-hmm. Uh, the college. I remember the College of Engineering offered me a thousand dollars, which at Oklahoma State, in state at the time, was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And uh, they offered me a thousand dollars if I would declare my major as engineering. Mm. And I got into the College of Engineering, took in an intro to engineering course, and I, I hated it. Mm-hmm. I hated solving problems in a vacuum without working with other people. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't fun for me. And so I was still in my head, well, I have this math skill set, and I, I'm going to make six figures. People are going to throw money at me. So I went finance. Mm-hmm. And my financial accounting professor was the most boring person I'd ever met. And he'd left, <laughs> he'd left the finance world to come teach. Mm-hmm. And I would just sit in class and go, whatever it is you did before you got here, I don't want to get into. Mm-hmm. And so then I spent a summer coaching summer league down in Hallsville where my family had moved. And I coached my brother's team. I coached the JV and the varsity summer league teams. And I was like, this is it. This is, I, this is the game I've loved since I was five years old and I can still be around it and still work it and still learn it in different ways. Mm-hmm. So I immediately went back to Oklahoma State and changed my major to education. How was it coaching your brother? 
<laughs> let me put this way. He was he was great. My brother was a was a much more effective high school player than I was. Mm. Um and so from a coachability standpoint, like he was fine and he and I saw the game a lot of the same ways. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. Uh plus there were some characters on a summer league roster. There's a lot of like senior football guys that say that are that are like, I'm gonna try summer league and see if I want to come out next year. Mm-hmm. And they had interesting personality quirks. Mm-hmm. So I was dealing with that most of the time. My brother just got to go hoop. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a he's a doctor now, is that Yeah, right? he's a doctor now. And congrats. Yeah. So so I tease you about being smart all the time, but I'm not teasing, I'm being honest. But you know, and again, that's uh y'all have a very uh intelligent family, is what it sounds like. And that's that's a that's a blessing because that's going to get passed down, you know, to your daughter. And, oh, absolutely. But that's that's for later, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, we're going to let, let the kids be kids and grow up and have fun and mm-hmm. enjoy life because um, I see parents who do this to kids and it drives me crazy. Um, I played basketball. I did this. You're going to play basketball and you're going to do this as well. Uh, whatever this may be, whether it be win state or go D one or go to pros or just whatever it may be, mm-hmm. and the kids don't enjoy being a kid, no. and then by the time they're in the tenth grade, they hate the sport and don't like their parents mm-hmm. and relationships are splintered, and I, I I hate to see that, so I wouldn't want to fast forward anything. No, uh, and like like my daughter right, she did an art camp this morning and she's doing ballet this afternoon, like. Mm-hmm. She's 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 blazing her own trail, and if basketball comes around, I'll be excited about it. But I'm not going to push it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I understand. You know, I understand. So, so tell me this: you went to education. Mm-hmm. You graduate. Did you already have a job lined up? No. Um, I remember I was student teaching in Cushing, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. uh, which was a, a town that used to have all this oil money until they closed all the refineries. And so then in my, in my eighth grade civics classroom was like just, it just a very low SES, uh, white trash would be the way you put it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a really good first soiree into the classroom. Just like, okay, I'm looking, still looking forward to going to work. It's just a, you know, it's an interesting kid. I've never been exposed to this type of kid before. Mm-hmm. And so that was good. Um, and, uh, so no, I would come home from. Cushing and I would prep my next lesson and I would apply for jobs and uh, I was applying in Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Dallas and Houston major cities where they could pay enough and then I realized Oklahoma just doesn't care to pay teachers Uh, they just don't so it was at that point it knocked us to Dallas and Houston and uh, had really good connect had two really good interviews in Dallas um I was getting one offer was in a really good district, uh, the Birdville district, which now is one of the better school districts in the state. And, uh, that was going to be middle school math and coaching everything, football, basketball track, or, uh, it was the Morton ranch job where I had, uh, the camp director I worked with, his brother-in-law was the principal, literally one of those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Juan Gomez was on staff, and he vouched for me there, and and that was a chance to you know not have to go through these middle school years and start at the high school level. And so ultimately, that's what what, what did it was, I wouldn't have to sort of do these years in the middle school 
to get to high school. I'm starting at the bottom rung of high school, but I'm at the high school level and I can start to build. Mm -hmm. So that's what made the decision for Morton out of the couple of schools that offer me jobs. Mm -hmm. so, so you go to Morton. Mm -hmm. And what's your position there? I was the freshman B basketball coach and I taught Algebra 1. Okay, freshman B. Who was the freshman A coach? Freshman A coach was Wes Cole. Wes Cole. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. And, and uh, then JV? Mike Nemi. That's right. And which all three are still coaching. Yes. Currently. Yes. And then the head coach. Carrie Palmer. And he's in admin. He so he's just retired, but he, he was mm -hmm. he was the one of the assistant athletic directors for Cyfair ISD. So I mean and West just won assistant coach of the year for TABC. So I mean that was was an like that was incredible staff to be a part of and to learn under and uh just sit back and watch uh, you know, these guys work. It was a lot of fun. And and Nimi was a longtime assistant mm -hmm. Taylor. Long time assistant. Couldn't get hired. Yeah. Despite Don't know why. despite being now we now everybody knows one mm -hmm. of the better coaches in the area. Absolutely. Because uh now uh, he's been to the regional finals in back-to-back -back years. Regional right? finals and then regional semis. Regional finals and regional semis in back-to-back uh, -back years. And so he's done, a, he's done a great job. You know, but uh, I do want to know, so you, you left uh, Morton and then you moved over to Memorial. Yeah, and with my complexion, a lot of people think that I was running from... Uh, from a certain clientele, and honestly, man, yeah, I loved Morton. I mm -hmm. loved working at Morton. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you when you work in a community that that needs people they can trust, the work is so rewarding. Mm -hmm. uh, but our, Katie's in my life had changed. Katie took a job working down by the Museum of Fine Arts, kind of on that in that part of town, down by the zoo, and we needed to move into Houston proper anyway. Mm -hmm. I was ready to commute back out to Morton. Uh, and then the memorial job opened up, and that's where our life was going to be. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I loved working under Coach Palmer, learned a ton. Uh, Palmer was great about holding kids accountable, uh, running a fast-paced system. First time really working with great athletes. Mm -hmm. Loved that. And then, uh, you know, different situation under Coach Lay, who's also one of the best coaches in the area. Great guy to learn under. But just uh, at the time that I got there, uh, you know, great kids, but they weren't top-tier athletes with so different type of coaching. Mm -hmm. So you're at Memorial. People think that it was because you couldn't coach black kids, but it was really a, a, a more family thing. You get to Memorial, and uh, you have to learn a brand-new system now, mm -hmm. right? And tell me about uh, the Memorial system that you learned. I'm, so I'm going back to when I first got there and I just remember like we'd run like I remember I remember how you got from low post to point and how you got from low post to chin mm -hmm. and who cuts where and I remember getting like wait that kid's supposed to go okay if he goes that wait no he's supposed to go there <laughs> and I remember I'd be running practice and I'd mix it up mm -hmm. uh, and it took me a while like it took me I remember uh, it was my first year, and uh, Lay took Coach Larry, and they went to a varsity tournament, and so I stayed and coached the JV. Mm -hmm. And so I was working them out one day, and I came in, and I was like, all right, guys, we're going to go point over the top to a tandem. We're going to take it off to UCLA and then hit the flare. And they were like, oh, we see. So, like, but yeah. it, it took from 
gosh, I took that job in May and it took from May to December mm -hmm. to really feel like I was confident in what I was doing and I could manipulate it and move pieces around and understand where all the pieces were going mm -hmm. and be able to really teach it. But it mm -hmm. took that long. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's complicated. Mm -hmm. It is very complicated. And, uh, but that's part of what makes it very unique because it's constant movement. I remember Lay saying, I don't want you to bring it all the way back up top and reset, reset, mm -hmm. reset. Just keep going. Yep. It's always going to fix itself. And saying that, when a team gets a chance to sit back and rest and go, mm -hmm. refocus, boom, now all of a sudden your offense kind of can, can stall. And uh, saying that, it, was very, it can be very difficult to learn, but once you learn it, it's like, boom. It's yep, and, and that being a part of that system benefited me from a basketball standpoint in so many ways because that was my first, besides being in a pass and pick away motion or a pass and cut motion, that was my first immersion into system basketball. Mm -hmm. when, we, when we pass the ball here, it's this or that. You're not going to be wrong, right. but you do have to pick one. Mm -hmm. And the idea that, when we get into an action, I'm the offensive player, and I don't know what I'm about to do. Mm -hmm. So there's no way the defense is going to know what I'm about to do. And I, I, that's the piece of it uh, that I really latched onto was I want to teach kids to play that way. Mm -hmm. I don't want to teach kids to run these pre-rehearsed things. I want to teach kids to have options, make decisions based on what they see on the floor. Because to me, that's really teaching the game. That's what really got me excited about coaching. I loved coaching at Morton, but this new system where I saw giving kids options and teaching them how to play within a system mm -hmm. where they don't need you to run 53 wild card special to get a shot. Right. They just need to be put in a, in a position to make a decision. Mm -hmm. I, I, I love that part. That, that part of it I started to eat up. So, so the problem uh, can be if there's a shot clock involved. Yes. We got a chance to see that in California. We did. Just a little bit. Just right? a little just bit. Just a little bit. But uh, at the same time, it's, it's just, you know, making different types of decisions, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes open is, no, I'm away for the better shot. It can be, no, I need to shoot this shot. Yes. Right? And, and saying that, um, if you had the perfect athletes, whatever perfect is to you, all 6'10 guys, all 5'3", super fast guys that can shoot from half court, whatever you think is perfect to you, Right. What offensive system would you run? Oh man. Um it would be it would be this just three-headed monster of like dribble drive and pistol series and transition. Those are our first looks, kind of 8 seconds of complete anarchy attacking, looking to share. Mm -hmm. And then if we don't have that, we we can flow right into uh Princeton looks, but that can be run at a high speed. Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of what I envision. In fact, that's uh, when I was applying for jobs this spring, there were some places where I was like, okay, that's cool. I've seen that type of kid. We could get into this or this or this. But uh, yeah, the, the, I enjoyed the pistol series uh, running that, but also the dribble drive piece that I've, that I've run for the last few years. So those would kind of become our transition offense. Mm -hmm. And then if we don't have that, then that flows right into where we fill spots where we're into, you know, uh, Princeton looks, high post feeds, um, looking for cutters, creating, you know, creating drives, creating overloads, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And what about the perfect defense? It's it's man to man. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
to me, like I, I learned at a young age and I didn't realize how important this would be to me, but I learned at a young age that a zone is just five guys playing really bad free safety. Mm. That's a zone. It's five guys ball watching. Mm. And that's why it gets beat with ball movement. It gets beat with sending cutters to the dead spots. You know, like my favorite place to work out when I played was that mid post area against a two, three, Mm -hmm. because I could hit the 12 footer or I could ball fake the guy in the middle. Um, And I just, I, I go zone sometimes as a switch up. I go zone sometimes as an adjustment, but a zone is not my primary defense. So the, the perfect defense to me is, is kids that buy into the intelligence and the extra effort that it takes to play really good man-to-man defense. Whatever your principles are, whether you force middle or you force baseline or you take away a strong hand or how you rotate or whatever it is, have your principles. But to me, that should be your primary defense. Mm-hmm. And then you build all your other things based on those principles. Um, you know, watching the state finals for the, you know, I think I saw 2A through 6A. Mm-hmm. And I saw one, I can't remember the name of the team, but it was one team that primarily played zone. Uh, it wasn't Westlake, but I can't remember the, the, the it was, uh, it didn't matter. But they played that zone, they played it very well. You can tell that was the bread and butter of what they do. Mm-hmm. But primarily everybody else played man to man. Yeah. And, and um, I go back and forth on that uh, based on, you know, how much, how much time and effort do you put into defense versus how much time and effort do you put into the skill training mm-hmm. you know versus you know everything else oh okay now you're so you're touching on uh i use i use economic terms to describe how you build a team and how you plan a practice mm-hmm. so you're talking about first of all uh opportunity cost okay yep. choosing to work on one thing is actively choosing not to work on something else mm-hmm. That's the that's the that's the rub with planning a practice is we only get so much time. Correct. Either before UIL says that's enough for the week or before our kids don't have the attention span. Absolutely. And so opportunity cost is big. I'm choosing to work on this because I think this is what our kids need and in that six or eight minutes we're running that concept, it's gonna grow them the most. Mm-hmm. Uh opportunity cost and then law of diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have the perfect drill, whatever it is, whatever concept it is. You probably have about four to six minutes where it's effective. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's not the perfect drill anymore. Mm-hmm. Now kids' attention spans start to wander. Intensity starts to wane. Uh, excitement starts to wane. And now you need to move on to something else, whatever the next perfect drill is. How, how many times, how, let me rephrase that. You have a, a perfect drill. You run it on Monday. Mm-hmm. Do you run it again on Tuesday? Do you run it for a week? How long do you run that drill? I, I, I look at things. I try not to repeat things every day. I really do. Because I, I view things like a deck of cards. You only get to play that card but so many times before it loses its effectiveness. Just like with how you hold kids accountable. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to be the nice guy, the man-to-man talk guy. Sometimes you got to be the, the harder voice, the stern voice. Sometimes you got to... Levy consequences. Sometimes, and my wife will hate to say this because when she was volleyball, she hated when the whole team had to run because somebody screwed up because she was doing right, right. you know? Right. But sometimes that's a card you have to play. And so uh, I look at my drills the same way. This is a deck of cards. And if I play the ace of spades all the time, mm-hmm. the ace of spades is going to lose its effectiveness on people. Mm-hmm. 
I'm always super ambitious on my day one practice plan, and then I just finish practice pissed off because we, because we didn't we got to maybe fifty percent of it. Right, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you did say uh, something I thought was important uh, a little earlier because uh, no, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back. We worked together at Memorial. We did, but that's not when we met. It's not. We met uh, at Clements. When I was at Clements and you were at Memorial. Yes, and you guys came to you guys came to Memorial first, mm-hmm. and you beat me on my home court. I remember, uh, and I remember because it was fourteen. Mm-hmm. You beat me by fourteen, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you did a good job with that group. And they weren't they weren't all that talented, right? But you had it. You they were running their stuff, and they were disciplined, and they were playing hard. Thank you. Uh, yeah, you did some good work with that team. Uh, until I got rolling with my team. <laughs> the second, because that was a, an early season game. It was early, and that year my group was predominantly football guys, mm-hmm. and so I just gotten them, mm-hmm. and I was just mad the whole time because they. I mean, we I'd had a couple of days with them, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, it was just a, it was a really it was fun to stay with that group for four years because that group wound up not being a special hoops group, but they want to be just really special people. Absolutely. So they, their graduation was the year I left Memorial. Mm-hmm. Um, but that group really just clicked that year. We had Roger Clemens' son, uh, who you would never know who he was because he was just the most polite, sweet kid. Mm-hmm. Loved working with him. And so we had mm-hmm. – that group really uh, bought in. Oh, and, I could tell and because the second time that we played. Because I flipped the script on you. <laughs> Yeah, 28-point swing, and we won by 14. Woo! I remember because it was 14 your way the first time and 14 my way the second time. Yes. But that was – those kids were athletes, and they just needed time to gel, mm-hmm. you know. And, and when we when you and I had, had the same three months on the court, I think that group I had was just a lot of football athletes learning the game mm-hmm. and their, their learning curve. Eventually, I was going to overtake the kids you had. But, you know, it was nice for you to steal one early. I appreciate I'll take that. It. Anytime you can steal one, I'm good with it. Yeah. Right? You take one whenever you can get it. And and I, I will, won't forget that we had a very short but good conversation afterwards. Like, like let's be in touch. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was like, he seems like a really good guy. Because whether you win or you lose, it's still the same. Like, hey, man, it's fun. It's good to talk to you, et cetera, and so forth. And boom, we, you know, I don't see you again until basically that next school year. Yeah, you were walking on campus as the, as the new first assistant. I remember that. That didn't, probably didn't sit too well, did it? It did not sit well <laughs> with me. Uh, you know, and, and again, with the benefit of hindsight, you know, Coach Lay mm-hmm. uh, didn't promote me to first assistant from, from second assistant when Coach Larry took the girls' job. Mm-hmm. And I've actually spoken with him handful of times and thanked him for that mm. because uh first time professionally that I was overlooked or not moved up and to be honest at 25 I didn't deserve it mm-hmm. uh I hadn't been you know in the film room and scouting and playing in practices with the intensity that the two guys in front of me had mm-hmm. um and so uh you know I there were times where I felt for you because I had been in the system mm-hmm. and I had this new fire lit under me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of, it kind of vaulted me to a position that really wasn't mine, but because I knew the system, that's kind of what naturally happened. Mm-hmm. I struggled, but you know who helped me learn James Van Hook? 
you could have been salty nuts and been like, I'm not helping you do crap. I want you to fail. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you call me up. I want you to learn this. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the restaurant, maybe on Willcrest or something like that. Yeah. Where it was, something like that. And we sat down and you were drawing things up and trying to help me to process. And I thought, man, that's a, again, now we ain't been working together for, you know, a couple months. Yeah. I'm like, that's a stand up thing to do. I mean, you know, I was I was frustrated, and and, and like I said, uh, Lay had his reasons, and I think in hindsight they were valid. Mm-hmm. You know, I was an immature kid at that point, mm-hmm. at twenty five. Um, but the other piece was like I cared about those kids a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I was coming off working with a really special freshman group that a couple of those kids had moved up to varsity, and it had nothing to do with you, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. because. You wouldn't have had someone bringing, helping you bring you up to speed behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. My energy would have been off for both the team that I was coaching and when I was helping out with varsity practice. And I just, I haven't had many mature moments in my life, but I'm, I, I stand by that. Like mm-hmm. that was, I thought that was the, I just thought that was the right thing to do by you. And I thought it was the right thing to do for the 75 kids that were in the program. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I fast forward uh, to last year. Uh, we can get into this more later, but the same thing happened. I thought I was a shoe in for the head job and wound up having to be the guy that's hired over me. I had to be his assistant. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, shoot, okay, reboot that attitude because I need that again. But the question still always came up, can you coach black kids? You, you know, it's and, and I didn't help myself, and I'm smiling right now, I didn't help <laughs> myself going from memorial to a private school because <laughs> that looks like that looks like I'm running from inner city kids mm-hmm. but it's just where the journey took me that was uh, that was a, Northland was a chance to, to do my own thing mm-hmm. and uh, the funny thing was it was a hundred times more diverse than memorial just because of the area that it's in yeah, right uh, and I did you know we did some really good work there and uh, so that was that was you know uh, it, it, it was my first chance to be a head coach. Uh, and I thought I'd be there for a couple of years and then parlay it into something else. Wound up staying there for a while. Mm-hmm. Well, and, I, and, and you were at Northam for a bit, but why does it matter, uh, in your opinion, why does it matter uh, a person's skin tone and their coaching ability? You know, I, I don't want to chalk it up to skin tone. I just think I, I've, what I've learned is I've tried, I, I spent a lot of years just trying to be a basketball head. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to get in this interview, I'm going to wow you with all this basketball knowledge and how I can relate it to kids and how I can teach it and mm-hmm. look at these things I've done with basketball and the people I've learned from and the people in my network that I've imparted this knowledge to and look at where they are. Uh, and then it, it, this last year I learned that when you're in that room with the AD and the principal, nobody cares. Right. Nobody <laughs> cares. They want to know... If we give you this program, are you going to be able to talk to our kids? Correct. Are they going to cause problems mm-hmm. with under your leadership? Mm-hmm. Are you going to have your paperwork done? Are you going to have your transportation reports filled out? Mm-hmm. Are all the kids going to be in rank one? Are you going to have their physicals in on time? Are you going to play in an eligible player? Right. When a kid screws up, what's your plan? Mm-hmm. All of those are good things. Absolutely. None of those have anything to do with what actually happens on the court. Mm-hmm. And I realized, you know, I realized it has nothing to do with how I look versus how, how somebody else looks. I was playing the game wrong. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's the game. The game is... How can I, I want to make my money around basketball. Mm-hmm. That's the game. 
Uh, everybody's like, oh, I want to win a state championship. Well, good for you. Yeah. There's like three dozen schools <laughs> that you need to be at for that to happen. Correct. And those ADs know exactly who they want to hire, and I'll, right. be, I'll bet you're not on their short list. Absolutely. For the rest of us, mm -hmm. let's make our money coaching basketball. Mm -hmm. That's the dream. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. So I, I had to learn to play that game and go, okay, I'm gonna, here's, here's how I run a program. Here's how we connect to middle schools. Mm -hmm. Here's my escalating discipline plan for when a kid screws up. Mm -hmm. Here's how I'm going to work with the faculty. Mm -hmm. And I revamped sort of the presentation I brought into these people so I could speak their language mm -hmm. from an admin standpoint, not necessarily an on-the-court standpoint. Well, I, I, I do know, you know, touching on what you were saying, those, those questions do come up. Are you going to embarrass our school by being the head coach? Yes, right. and, and part, of that, part of that is they need someone that they feel like can speak the kid's language. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a, I'm a suburban white kid, mm -hmm. and I live in Houston. Mm -hmm. there, there are very few schools where I look like an apples-to-apples -apples fit, mm -hmm. but I've, I've tried to build my resume at schools with tougher kids so that they go, okay, you know, you can talk to kids. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. And, and I've, I've watched, because we've been friends, like we said, for, for years now, I've watched you interact with kids. Regardless of what they look like, you've interacted with kids. Boys, girls, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, kids, right? And you get the same results, where it's uh, just regular non-athletic kids. They're laughing, they're joking, they're listening, they're doing all their work, they're doing all the things they're supposed to do, they treat you with respect. Athletically, you're getting the most out of all those kids, no matter who those kids are. And from, from what I've seen, and I go, to me, that's what it is. If you have to, I think that if you have to stop and say, well, this is this group of uh, kids, or this is this group, so they can only be coached by blank, then you're limiting that those uh, kids' opportunities to be coached by somebody, probably uh, a, a really good coach, because you're just limiting them. Like, would you do that to Coach K? Mm -hmm. Did that to Roy Williams? Would you say, "Oh well, no, you can't coach black kids"? Yeah, I'm like, whoa, no, yeah. you know. And I hate to see that, and I hate to see people lose jobs because they can't coach white kids, or they can't coach black kids, or, or Hispanic, or whatever it may be. Well, and you know, I think I think there is an education into lower SES kids, kids from minority families, kids from single family homes. There is an education and empathy that you have to develop for that, but uh, it doesn't mean. Like okay, I I was at I was at private school for eight years, and I I treated kids as if if I didn't treat them right, they were going to go somewhere else because mm -hmm. there was always another private school that was that would give them a tuition break or whatever the heck, mm -hmm. and so it just became I'm going to love every kid because they're in my program. I don't have a program without them, mm -hmm. so why not talk to every kid that way? Right? Why do I have to t speak to you differently because? It's just you and your mom, or you live with your grandmother. Like, you need love and structure and boundaries, and you need this game mm -hmm. just as much as the private school kid needs it, maybe even more so. Mm -hmm. And so, I see people that work with kids in Title I neighborhoods or minority, whatever you want to call them, and they think, I talk to this kid this way because that's what he hears and that's what makes sense to him. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I think you're just, you might just be really good at wounding and kicking kids while they're down. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy seeing that. I don't think that's a good way to coach kids. Like, I think a kid from an apartment kid or a lower SES kid or a free reduced lunch kid, all these things we place on kids. Mm -hmm. 
a label? I, I, I think I think they need more grace than kids that come from everything. And so, you know, I I give I try to give kids a lot of love up front and I live with the one percent of time that it that it it backfires on me. Mm-hmm. Oh well that kid betrayed you or that kid lied to you. I'm like, yeah, because I gave that kid my trust mm-hmm. and my love. And I'm willing to live with the 1%. That's not going to change how I do things. I'm not going to overreact to the negative thing that happened from giving a kid trust and love. Absolutely. So, private. Yeah. You know, kids are, you know, I, I still say high school kids are 14 to 18, 19 years old. Right? And, and kids are kids. But you did leave Memorial to go into the private sector. And uh, tell me about that transition. How, how hard was that or how easy was that to go from public, basically your whole career, basically, right, into the private sector? It was interesting because, you know, the Morton experience, at this point in my life, I'd had the Morton experience where there were some, uh, you know, some lower SES issues and some kids that I worked with from some, some, some backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And the Memorial, the richest of the rich. And then at Northland, the area it's in, you get people that, live on golf courses, and then you get, you know, we had kids that would drive over from Aldine because we gave them a tuition break, you know, mm-hmm. so it was a really interesting mix of kids. And I just, I just shrugged my shoulders and went, man, kids are kids. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm not going to treat them differently because of the money their parents make. Like, mm-hmm. if you if you love this game and you want to work this game, you have a place in my program, and I'm going to teach you to play the way I want you to play. And, uh, you know, just... Uh, not treat people the same way because everybody's different. Everybody has different mm-hmm. motivating things and everybody responds to coaching, criticism, whatever you want to call it differently. But I have a standard for how I treat people and that's that's not going to change based on where you come from. I'll, I can adjust the approach and I can, mm-hmm. I can pull something out the deck of cards that, you know, didn't work on this kid but it might work on this kid. But that's not... That's that's changing the approach. That's not changing the standard. I just I just think you have a standard for how you treat people regardless of what they look like or where they come from. So athletically, um, it was different. You had you had two, two teams. Is that right? Two or three? I had teams. two teams. Two teams, right? And a head coach in a six A or five A, whatever it was at the time, traditionally could have four to five, right? Four to five. And you have two teams, and you pretty much can play a lot of private schools and some uh, some lower level public if you so choose. And some home schools. Some home schools. You can try to play up to the six A if the talent matches, but it's hard to get kids in every year. It is. It is. And, and you lose kids as well, correct? Uh, I didn't. I didn't really lose kids those first four years. Uh. The school, I, if you played basketball, you were you were cutting that tuition check for those first few years, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was interesting because um, when you only have two teams, man, that's a lot of pressure on that JV to develop because obviously you're losing seniors, but my JV could be juniors that just weren't ready, and then basically like my freshman team was in there too, mm-hmm. and so. That was interesting to see that learning curve to throw a freshman kid to JV because I played, I made a point to play some tough schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- throwing a kid that would probably be a freshman B team or a lot of your local 
uh, public schools to be thrown onto a junior varsity court was wild. It's tough. Um, but you know, it was that that growth curve. I, again, the youth pastor you date after the abusive relationship. That school had gone through five head coaches. I was the fifth head coach my seniors had known when I got there. Whoa. Yes. They brought a guy in for their these kids' junior year. He left after two weeks uh, because he couldn't hack it in the classroom and he wasn't that invested. Then they, hired, they had a part-time guy finish the year out, and then they brought me in the following year. So my seniors had had five head coaches. That's unheard of. Yeah. And that year was tough from a cultural standpoint because I'll be honest with you – if you were my fifth head coach, I wouldn't trust you either. Not at all. You were giving me lip service because everybody's giving me lip service to this point. Mm-hmm. And so, but uh, uh, that junior class underneath them, they all stayed. Mm-hmm. All of them. Mm-hmm. And that's where the turnaround happened. We went from winning eight games to winning 19 games from year one to year two. Mm-hmm. And it, it, there wasn't anything more magical than giving some kids a place to hoop and a program that they wanted to be a part of. You joined the Spring Branch Tournament uh, one of those years. That was the that was the year we went to state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, you had, I, I, I can never remember his name. I call him the dunker. Jake Beckstead. Because he dunked on everybody. Yeah, all and the he's, time. he's married now and making more money than you and me. And congrats <laughs> to him. Because for one, he was a hardworking kid, you know, on the court from when I saw him. He, could, he would compete like none other. And uh, he was a nice guy, you He's know. A sweet kid. Uh, then you had the uh, the big man, right? Christian, uh, who like have mercy, you know. And you had a lot of, uh, and no disrespect to any other teams, but you had a lot of kids who played their roles and played them very well, mm-hmm. right? And you competed with with public schools and so forth, and some of that's the kids, some of that's the coaching, and you know, combination of all that, but. It was fun to watch you all because you knew that if y'all doing this here in public, oh, y'all gonna make a nice run. Yeah, and I remember that that spring branch tournament that year we didn't win a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jake actually separated his shoulder. Um, the game before y'all played us. Yes, and my uh, <laughs> my guard, this kid went for fifteen points, twelve assists, first game of the year, mm-hmm. and I put a sub at the table to get him out in, in blowout time mm-hmm. and tweaked his knee before I could get him out. Oh. So he didn't play in the spring branch tournament. So it mm-hmm. was just, it was my, it was Christian and a bunch of JV kids. But mm-hmm. I remember like, okay, I had it in my football guys yet. Cause the football team at Northland won state that year. So mm-hmm. I didn't have, I was missing my point guard mm-hmm. and a backup big man and a couple of shooters. And after that tournament, I was like, I'm going to get these kids in. We're going to start to roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from that point, we went like sixteen and six. So, so you said y'all had a couple of 19, 19 win seasons. I went nineteen win. I was king of the nineteen win season. <laughs> I went nineteen wins three times in a row, mm-hmm. and everybody chases that twenty win season. So let me unpack this for you. Mm-hmm. Year two, the twentieth win would have been breaking the school's seven year playoff drought, but we lost mm. uh, in a on a last second shot. Year three would have been the school's first. We made the playoffs in year three, and it would have been a playoff win. Uh, would have would, would have been number twenty, and then in year four, win number twenty would have been the state championship. That's that's legit. And that's, so, that's crazy how that works. Yeah, so it's it, it's like ah uh, man, like but now if I go to Scarborough and win nineteen games, they're gonna build a statue, shoot a movie about me. Yeah, <laughs> right. so I mean maybe right. it's not the worst thing in the world to be the nineteen win guy. It's 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 tough. 
uh, you know, 20 wins is a lot, which, which I always look at those 900-win coaches. Mm-hmm. And I go, I do not know how you do that because that's 30 wins a year for 30 years. Yeah, and that's – I mean, those are great coaches, but that's usually like you're the first assistant and the next man up at one of those premier programs, and then you can start to win right away. Mm-hmm. And people that get to – if anybody follows yours in my career, which there's no reason to, but <laughs> – Anybody that follows yours in micro, that's just not for you and me. No. We 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 go places that need love Absolutely. that haven't really had it. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it, you want to win a state championship? Good. That's fine. I want to make my money coaching basketball and making an impact. I don't really care what it looks like. I did the private school thing because mm-hmm. I thought it could bridge me to something. Um, and now I'm back in public school. But it's it, the, game, the game is not being one of the last teams playing. The game is – having your passion project and making your money around the game. But you, you did something, though, that I say 99% of coaches will never get a chance to do, and that's play in that state championship game. Tell me about that. Start start with the gosh. the most important part of that season leading up to that. Oh, my gosh. So uh, you, I could talk about this all day. That was, <laughs> so that was – I told you my first year, those seniors, that was the big culture change because they were good athletes, but they just – and really good kids, but that was that was a big culture change for them and for me. That junior class was invested, and they and they all stayed. And we had this 19 win season and won some games that they'd never seen the school win. But the state champ, the state finals run, was that freshman group. And Al- Alec, my shooter, was there. Colby, the point guard, was in that group. Mm-hmm. And then we added. Jake, as a sophomore, Jake was at Northland Middle School, left because the coaching was bad, and then for some reason came back to play for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, I had this great group of freshmen that stayed together all four years, and everybody's like, oh, you're a private school, you're a recruiter. I'm like, that, if you want to think that, that's fine, but this group was developed. Mm-hmm. Nobody on that state finals team that suited up that day had been at the school less than a year. Mm-hmm. They'd all been there two-plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the, you mentioned Jake, the thing about Jake was Jake added to his game every year, mm-hmm. his sophomore year, he was a slasher that can make mid range and finish at the rim layups. His junior year, he added the three ball. Mm-hmm. And then his senior year, he was shooting 40% from three and playing above the rim, yes, he was. but he separated his shoulder and, and I didn't get him back until district. And so, and so I did that develop, that gave, I always, this is always fun when you take a major piece out to see the pieces develop underneath that, in that absence, who, who steps in the gap. And uh, we finished third in district and nobody was really paying attention to us. It was a good district. Woodlands Christian had a really great team and St. Thomas Episcopal that continues to push out good teams. They were, they were all great. Mm-hmm. And... I just we we played some good ball, but we lost some close games. And I thought we should have been in the district championship window, but we weren't. And uh, we came into the last game of the season, and we hadn't really hit our stride. And again, I'm talking. I've got a six foot eight big man. Mm-hmm. I've got a point guard that went for like four triple doubles in district. Uh, that, that kid went to state in five sports. Like just an mm. incredible athlete, great kid. My shooter was back from his knee injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and my fifth piece was this just little role player named Tim that would just, I would stick him on the other team's best player and he'd make his life like a, like a, like a white Patrick Beverly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Minus the talking. Yeah. Uh, that was Tim's. And so that was my five and they, they, they hadn't put it together yet. And so we go play 
Bay Area Christian last game of the season. We were the three, we were, and they were, they were the four. And I just kept going, we're not, we're not there yet. We're not playoff ready yet. I haven't seen their best yet. And so I walk into the locker room, and I gave too good of a speech, and that was my fault. I just basically said, look, guys, this is another playoff team. This is your playoff tune-up. There was a we were nine and three in third and they were five and seven and fourth so there was a big gap but they were a playoff team. Mm-hmm. I said guys go show your playoff team and we put up sixty three in the first half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I'm having to I'm having to pull starters out in the third quarter. Yes. And I was like we're ready mm-hmm. we're ready and so uh, the next three weeks man people are like well what was that run like man the only thing I compare it to is a honeymoon. It's just when like you win you win a playoff game and the season's supposed to be over and it's not and they get to come back to the gym the next day like every coach should get to have that day because it's like gosh guys half the state is home and we're still here that's right and my message to them after every play, we won three playoff games and my message to them every time was I'm just so glad we are still here I'm so glad I get to spend this time and be part of this with you guys. And so uh, we, uh, we had a close game against Geneva Bernie out in San Antonio. Really fun trip, like breakfast tacos and Lego Batman movie on the game day and just chilling with a really cool group of kids. Uh, another kid later told me that he snuck his Xbox uh, into the hotel despite me telling him not to. <laughs> and uh, so we have, this, we have this really close game against uh, Geneva Bernie and you know from the Taps landscape, I don't know if you worked with them at all, but they're really good people. Kind of, kind of that North San Antonio area. I, I know, I know Bernie, but I didn't know Janine. So we beat them by I think eight in a really close game where we looked nervous, mm-hmm. like we, if we don't, if, if, if we weren't sure if we could break through here, because mm-hmm. I think they felt the weight of expectations. They knew they were supposed to be good, mm-hmm. but we get out of that game. Uh, Christian caught caught some rebounds and chucked them up to Jake for some easy layups, and that made the difference. And after that, they were just loose. Mm-hmm. They were loose. And the Geneva Bernie people were like, we really want to, we hope you guys go all the way. We really like what you're doing with the program. Really good people. Mm-hmm. Wound up sending a long email to the head of school and the athletic director like, we, your people were so kind to us and so gracious and we're so glad we got to play a game, you know, around such a great uh, community. Mm-hmm. So uh, from there, we have, what was the next game? The next game was... Uh, let me think. It was the round of eight. Who we pl- I don't even remember who we played. It was St. Thomas Episcopal in the quarterfinals. Mm. And they beat us by 15 twice. Mm-hmm. Like, we didn't look good against them. They were the district champ. Uh, and I will say his name. My assistant at the time was Melvin Shepard. Mm-hmm. And he said, Coach, we need to run zone because they can't shoot. Mm-hmm. But we can't show zone early. Put Colby, our guy that went to state in five sports, have him pressure the ball full court so that that point guard doesn't see zone. He's worried about Colby. Mm-hmm. And then when he looks up and Colby becomes part of the zone, oh, crap, we got to run zone offense. Mm-hmm. And they never had an answer for it. And I remember they made a big run to start the game before we really settled into how we, how we had game planned them. And uh, they made a big run, and they were up like 22 to 9. And Tim, my role player, iced two corner threes, mm. kept us in it, and Jake went for 38. 
<laughs> and we wound up running away with it. The final score was like 75, 61. They had a kid with a man bun get thrown out of the game because I hate kids with man buns. <laughs> and, uh, and so that was uh, that game. So, so this was, I mean, that game put the school in the final, in the state final four mm-hmm. for the first time in 33 years. Nice. Uh, the school had never seen anything like it. And I was, oh, I was hype. And the kids were hype. And you know that moment where you see coaches walk in the locker room in like March Madness and the water and the screen? I got to have that, man. It was, and you know, it wasn't, it wasn't in UIL and it wasn't at the Campbell Center and it wasn't in Austin, but I didn't care about that. It doesn't matter. You know, these were, these were my dudes that stuck with me that, that, thought that this experience we were having together was worth a tuition check every year and we mm-hmm. and we got to do this. So we go to the final so again this is like a three week run. So we go to the final four and it's Woodlands Christian, the two seed out of our district. Mm-hmm. And uh we had an overtime game uh against them and wound up it was like eleven to five in overtime and we won it. And neither team ran offense the whole game. It was just it was it, everybody was too excited. And uh, it's it, like I tried to show it as like a teach dribble drive to somebody else, and it was there was no offense being run. Uh, they were just hooping and just running on adrenaline, and uh, we won that one. And we played, we had to play the state championship game in less than twenty four hours after that game. And my kids, we weren't we weren't when you we were deep in district, but in playoffs we weren't deep. Mm-hmm. I had some kids that just weren't ready for that from a basketball standpoint. And we were out of gas, and Lubbock Christian was a buzzsaw. Mm-hmm. And so, but well, you for know, those that don't know, Lubbock Christian wins a lot. They do. They win uh, a lot of state championships. If they don't win, if if Westbury Christian doesn't win, then Lubbock Christian wins. Mm-hmm. And if Westbury Christian's not in that classification, then Lubbock Christian wins. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were a buzzsaw, and they'd been there before, mm-hmm. and they were they were more mentally, emotionally, and physically prepared because they didn't have to play an overtime game the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, again, that emotional drain is just. Cause you win it, you know what I mean. You won the overtime, and I get to go to state. Yeah, and again, it's like they get to sit and watch you guys. And I remember uh, they had this white uh, kind of guard forward combo player, and pregame warmups, like we did, we finished warmups. And you know how players will go grab the net and like pull themselves up, or they'll box the pad, or mm-hmm. just whatever they do that last little routine before they go play the game. This kid took two steps from the free throw line and tapped his head on the pad of the backboard. Okay. And I was like, "We're, I'm, I'm standing there in my suit, and I wasn't feeling well. I didn't sleep the night before. I think I was too jacked up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't like our chances right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think they shot like 65% from the field. They were just ice cold. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that was, that was hard emotionally because I had to go in the room and refocus them. Mm-hmm. Like, guys, I, we lost this game, but like, that doesn't undo what we did here. Like, mm-hmm. you gave a community something it hadn't seen in 33 years. Like, you got to play at Abilene Christian. You got to be interviewed pregame. You got to have shoot around like a college kid. Yeah. And then you got to play in this D1 arena. Like, like I understand you're sad, and I'm sad too. I'm, I hate that it's over more than I hate that we lost. Mm-hmm. But, uh, like, don't lose perspective on, like, what you got to do and what we got to be a part of together. Mm-hmm. And that was hard because... I didn't get to feel it at the time. And so that bus ride home six hours from Abilene was just kind of the release. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was sad for a little bit and I couldn't sleep even though I wanted and all I wanted to do was nap on that bus and I couldn't sleep. But by like, by like Monday 
I was like, I'm just like, I'm so glad I got to have this with this group of guys. It was special. Oh, and, and, and you know, we'd be in touch, right? Because just trying to follow the, follow, you know, how well y'all are doing. Because, again, I had a vested interest because, one, you know, you're my guy. Two, we played you guys. And I was like, we know that that's a good group. Yeah. Right? And then, uh, really, like, it's hard to go to state. I don't care what level you're at. It's difficult to go to state. Because you really still need a lot of things to happen, mm-hmm. right? Uh, injuries can happen. Uh, grades can happen. You know, a parent might say, hey, I need to take my child. That could happen. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of different random things can happen. A kid who you on the bench gets hot, the team playing against, you're like, he never shoots like that. Yep. You know? Oh, so uh, before the semis game, I'd pull the sophomore up to varsity. I'm not going to say his name because if, if, if he hears this, he'll be mortified, but... Uh, he was so excited to be in this college gym, he just jumped up and touched the rim with one finger. Mm-hmm. So we started the state semifinals with the other team shooting technical free throws. Whoa. Uh-huh. Kid was, the kid was horrified. And so Woodlands Christian wound up getting a flagrant foul later in the game. And I was like, hey, there you go. We got it back. We're we good. got it back. We're all good. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Man, that's, that's pretty brutal. It was, it was brutal. And I, I just, you know... The kid felt so bad, and there was nothing I could have said that would have taught him anything or made him feel better. I was just like, man, like, I, we're going to be okay. So that's an amazing run, and we all know that it's very difficult. But now you're graduating uh, a class that's been with you and so forth. But now it's time to make that second run right yeah. the second batch and I remember you made a really big run again later uh because some things changed you became AD eventually uh of Northland um and you made another some more runs to the playoffs and what was your next longest run through the playoffs so it was actually that next year um and uh it was it was all the it was basically you know my big man had left and I graduated this really special class and uh, a couple of those kids uh, that came off my bench, uh, my backup point guard and my backup big man were football players, and the football coach had changed, so they had left. Mm-hmm. And so it was a complete rebuild, and uh, a lot of the feedback I got was I did better that next year than I did the state championship year. Mm-hmm. Um, kids, like, I mean, this, this group was not as talented as the last group I had, but they ran the system they may have run the system better. We just run a really simple dribble drive, you know, dozen little rules. That's uh, that's what I'd switched to. That this, I'd gotten that group, that state finals group. I got them out of Princeton and put them in dribble drive, and it was like I cut them loose. Mm-hmm. It's like they were off the chain finally. Mm-hmm. And so, but this next group was just so cerebral with how they ran it. They just didn't have top end talent. Uh, but we wound up going to uh, the school for the deaf, which I think you played there before. Yep, TSD. Um, and wound up getting a win against them, but then wound up getting blown out by uh, the eventual state champion Woodlands Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, the next year, the next year was the lowest point because just uh, some pieces that were brand new, and uh, some kid, you know, like my best player was a five eight point guard that would run through a wall, but just you know. And then I had a slasher that was Mr. Hustle, super coachable, couldn't shoot, mm-hmm. and just some incomplete pieces and that needed to develop. And so that was a tough year. We didn't make the playoffs that year. Um, and then we made it the next two. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, 
cool things happen. Like uh, after that sixth year at Northland, I completely retooled my coaching staff. And to be honest, it revitalized me. Mm -hmm. I'd moved on, you know, two coaches had stuck with me and then they had moved on. And I had this kind of gap year where I had to hire somebody late and we weren't quite a fit, which happens sometimes. And uh, I got a chance to retool my coaching staff and wanted to bring in two guys that made me better and revitalized me. And it just, it delivered how important it is to have a good team around you because with those, with the three of us together, I think we got more out of those kids than I'd ever gotten out of kids at Northland. That includes the state finals year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, finished second in the district twice in a row with kids that we really shouldn't have been finishing second in the district with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, when, you know, it was the COVID year, so I'm wearing a mask and we won a game that we should not have won. Mm-hmm. And, I think people thought I was going to throw up or that I was sick. I was been over laughing. Like, no way. <laughs> no way we should have won that game. What are we doing? I think the final was like 32 to 31. Oh, yeah. Like, we just grinded one out. And, and it was, you know, but that was interesting because those were, uh, a lot of those kids that were with me were uh, financial aid kids that single parent home or, you know, that kind of stuff. And so that was... That's where I was like, okay, you know, and then you and I went to the regional final together and I looked you dead in the face and I was like, I have to get out of private school. Uh I want to be in arenas like this. This is where I want to be. I got to play, play one game in them and I get to play any playoff game in these now. Like, and I had that moment where that put me on a path to where I was like, okay, I can play this private school game, but the AD thing is really taking a toll on me, taking Mm -hmm. a toll on my family. And the money is not as good as it was when I first got into it. And so private public schools had caught up in terms of money, and I kind of wanted to chase that prestige a little bit. So, so you felt like you pretty much maxed out? I had maxed out, not in the private school, because there, there are still private schools that I would jump to, but I had maxed out at that school. Mm-hmm. I, was, I, I wanted to continue to grow a program and grow it to having three teams, three, three and four teams, didn't have the gym space for it. Um, you know, and I, and it got to the point where, uh, internal things at the school had kind of, I was like, okay, I, we're going two different directions, mm-hmm. uh, philosophically from a growth standpoint. And so I was ready to, ready to punch out. And, and your, your journey led you to Pasadena. Yeah. So that spring I had four head coaching interviews, all six A, um, and uh, it was, a, oh, we like you, but we went this other way or, you know, uh, and I honestly, I don't think, I don't think anybody wanted to be the first school to touch me coming out of private school just because there's such a huge divide. People don't think there is, but there's such a huge divide in perception over a head coach in a private school versus a head coach in UIL. And I was grateful to have the interviews, but I didn't realize that the deck was kind of stacked against me there. You know, because uh, again, I was running those interviews thinking I could be the smartest hoop guy you talked to, and that wasn't the game. So, uh, you know, I'd, I'd been I'd been told by a coach at Pasadena Memorial, you know, if you come be my assistant, uh, you'll be the next man up, and uh, I bet on that. Mm-hmm. And uh, he decides to leave, and now he's looking at me going, well, you know, you 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 and my other assistant are going to have a chance to interview for the job, and I was like, wait, 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 wait. It's not what we talked about. You said next man up. And I, and so that experience taught me just to only bet on myself, you know? Um, 
And so I wound up being a finalist at Pasadena Memorial and uh, passed over for the job. Uh, and that was tough because I was in the situation just like you and I were eight years ago. No, more than that, 11 years ago. And uh, I had to go to this guy that hired, Trent Olivier, who I now love, who I, I think the world of. And he had a lot of grace for me because obviously he'd been passed over for jobs too. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, how are you feeling? And I looked him dead in the face and I said, I am still really sore about this. Mm-hmm. And I took a breath and I said, but that has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. I want to congratulate you on getting this job. I know this is probably a huge deal for you and your family. Um, you know, I'm sore about this, but I, I care about these kids. I've been here for a few months and we, I want to make this work. And that, that kind of comes, you know, full circle to when we first met. Yeah. And again, it's like, I'm hurting, but I'm still going to lift you up to, to the best of your ability. Yeah, I'm, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> I've done it twice. And, I've had to do it twice. I don't want to do it anymore. And, and but, hopefully you should never have Well, to. but the other piece of it is like, like I swallowed my pride and now I, what, I, what I have are, I hope, two lifelong friends. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, he made a point to not knowing me from anybody else, he made a point to let me coach mm-hmm. and let me speak into the kids and give me things that I could own. And, you know, no other assistant in Houston's running two, three timeouts a game mm-hmm. while the head coach is bad. But he let me do that. Mm-hmm. And it helped me stay sharp and it helped me, you know, stay hungry. And I'm, I'm grateful to Trent Olivier for mm-hmm. the way he handled us being in for the same job and him getting it instead of me. Like, uh, just a, a class act of a guy and a guy that gets that you, you know, you don't, sometimes you don't get to pick the family around you that it's your staff. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to make do with somebody's hurt feelings or somebody's missed expectations and um, could not have handled it better and been a, a, a more, a bigger class act with me coming where I was coming from. And I told him, you know, at the end of the year when I took the Scarborough job, like you were, you were a really important person to me in a, a year that was really hard for me professionally and personally. Mm-hmm. This was not an easy year for me, but you gave me, gave me a home where I could coach kids. Yeah. Because uh, that's again, that's where I want to make my money. And and you said you took the Scarborough job, so yeah, people people look at me like I'm crazy. Well, and and because traditionally, the Scarborough job is a lot. It's very we're we're close. Right, mm-hmm. but like Scarborough and Northbrook are a handful of miles apart. Geographically, very close. Mirror image, two ninety from each other. Right, yeah. and uh, so people think, why would a person go there? And and I want to know what were your thoughts. Um, a lot of things, a lot of thoughts went into this decision, and I actually I sat on I sat on the job offer for two weeks. And they'd even reposted it while I was considering it because they weren't thinking I was going to take it. Um, they haven't won a game in two years. And I just had a feeling that it's like that situation I keep stepping into where, you know, Pasadena Memorial, the, the situation that Trent and I stepped into, a lot of kids felt marginalized. And Trent and I really got to go speak a lot of love to kids and give kids something special they hadn't had for a while, you know. Mm-hmm. We Trent wound up taking Pasadena Memorial to the playoffs for the third time in the school's history, mm-hmm. most wins in school history, and I got to see him build that his way. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, the, the arrogant part of me will always think my Kung Fu is better, but sure. Trent's Kung Fu was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was what Pasadena Memorial needed at the time. And so, but now I'm back. I went from an athletic director to being back in the pool with all the other first assistants that think they should be head coaches. Mm-hmm. And I realized if I don't check this head coaching box for UIL, then I'm just going to keep spinning my wheels and I'm just going to stay someone's assistant. Mm-hmm. Now, luckily, I've never worked for a bad head coach. I've only worked for really great head coaches, Trent Olivier, Dave Lake, Gary Palmer, all in that number, all for different reasons. But I, I couldn't, now I, I, I didn't want to make a lateral move and be a first assistant somewhere else and hope mm-hmm. to move up. And I just realized, like, if not now, when? Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, I, and it just, Trent would, Trent would sit me down and he'd go, James, how you doing? I said, Coach, I'm good, but it, it burns in my chest that I'm not running a program. Mm-hmm. And you know that's got nothing to do with you, no emotion towards you, but if I don't get my voice, my concepts, build my, build my family of assistants, you know, build things my way, I'm going to go insane. Absolutely. It's, it's once, you've, once you've done it and you've been successful and you've got to sit behind someone, no matter who it is, how great or how, how bad, it's, it's hard. And... Uh, Scarborough was going to give me that chance, and within HISD, there's a lot of room to move up and move around if I'm successful. Uh, there's nowhere to go but up. Mm-hmm. It's 10 minutes from my house, and <laughs> my commute was cut by more than half, and that's three hours more that I'm going to be at home and not in the car. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's my shot. You know, that's the way I look at it, is mm-hmm. okay, if... If you guys look at a private school person and he can't talk to my kids and we don't know if public and private are apples to apples, then okay, I'm going to take Scarborough and I'm going to work with some of the toughest kids in Houston ISD and I'm going to find a way. And then there's nothing you can say. Absolutely. You can't say anything about my resume. You can't say anything about the type of kid I've worked with. You can't say, oh, he had success. But you can't say that anymore. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go serve notice. Mm-hmm. That's what this is. Well, and and you know, you find yourself when, when I asked you in the very beginning, what is like, who is James Van Hook? And you said you don't like to use those adjectives, but you find yourself in leadership roles. Mm-hmm. And I think, and and again, it's just me on the outside looking in. I think that's what eats you up so much, being that assistant. It's I need to be in that leadership role. Like you, you, you can do it, but realistically, preferably. I need to be here because that's something that I think you do well, you know, and saying that um, if you go to Eastern Kentucky to go and coach, mm-hmm. right, or let's just say whatever college, et cetera, it feels like you learn as much as you can, bang, bang, okay, now I'm ready to go ahead and mm-hmm. be back in a leadership role. And some people completely need that, and some others are perfectly fine being a lifelong assistant for 20, 30 years. And I felt the same way. I was like, if I'm going to fail, I want to go out and fail because I made those mistakes. Yep. You know, I want to live and die by what I say. Because I can give uh, feedback, right, and so forth. And if they choose not to take it, okay, so be it. And if they choose to, cool. But then the day it goes, that's the head coach's decision. Yeah. I needed to be that guy. Yeah, and I don't, like... 
if I tell you like, hey, this will work, and then you don't do that, I'm pretty sour. Like, and 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 and, you know, I've got people like you gassing me up, telling me I'm smart, and there there's. Yeah, it's there's 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 altruistic reasons I want to be a head coach. There are completely benevolent reasons I want to be a head coach, but there's also an ego to it. Mm-hmm. There's also like, give me don't don't give me the best. Give me whoever, and I'll go beat somebody I'm not supposed to beat, mm-hmm. so that everybody knows. You know, I have a little of that clanging around in my head, mm-hmm. um, and so that's why I, you know as much as I love being three guys assistance by the time I developed my own system and and had my own success I I was going to have a hard time going back oh sure it's it's tough well uh so what are your goals now for for Scarborough man just make Scarborough relevant make it a place it hasn't it hasn't had a chance for basketball to have a home there so job number 1 is Make Scarborough a place where basketball is played. Put basketball on the map at Scarborough from a cultural standpoint. Bring basketball back to that community. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how many wins that'll translate to. I'd like to take a couple next year just to break the streak. Um, and, you know, there's always a plan for if Scarborough is a hit, then next job XYZ. But, like, man, there's always, even at Pasadena Memorial where I was an assistant and I knew there was an endpoint to it. I always leave room for like, well, what if I come and I'm happy here? What if I can stay here? It happened at Northland. Northland was supposed to be a stepping stone, but they offered me a chance to grow from within, so I was there eight years. Um, You know, Pasadena Memorial was never going to be a place where I stayed for a long time, but what if I stayed there for a couple years and got to build something special with Coach Olivier before I took my next chance? Scarborough, there's a lot of quality of life things that are in place, you know, working in HISD and serving the community that I live in that matters to me, mm-hmm. but also being close to home, um, but also having the chance to to turn a program around and have these guys go beat people that have been telling them they're no good for years. Like, exactly. oh, it could be fun. And so, you know, does Scarborough lead to something else? Maybe, maybe not. Um, is there a chance I'm happy at Scarborough and stay there for some years? I'm, I'm willing to have that conversation. Then. You know, now my five-year plan is just to go, you know, be as successful as possible. Um, well, and that's, you know, I expect nothing shorter, right? I mean, you're not going to halfway do anything, no. right? That's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not you, especially in a head coaching role. But that's your five-year, but what does 20 years from now look like for James Van Hook? Man, you know, I have that uh, – I have this – administrator skill set that I don't like to admit to people because it's boring but uh, but it's on the resume and uh, you know the private school experience has a shelf life I can put it on the shelf and come back to it uh, I've got to keep the public school leads hot while I'm in mm-hmm. um, in 20 years gosh I'll be 60 at that point past retirement age um, I'm, I just don't think I'm never not going to coach basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I've, I, I, I don't want to see who I am without the passion and the drive to 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 be in kids' lives and be on the court. You know, did did COVID hurt any of your passion? Zero, mm-hmm. uh, zero. I remember the second that Taps said we could get on the court because it happened while I was in Taps. The second they could get on the court, uh, we had kids masked up and 
you remember uh, scrubbing basketballs and all that stuff. Oh, and, right, right. And uh, because that was, uh, that was the year after I'd revamped my staff. And so I had this brand new staff of a, a guy that had trained pros and a guy that worked in the area that were both incredible coaches. One was a skills trainer guy and the other was my in-game adjustment guy. And the three of us just made music together, man. Mm-hmm. So COVID, COVID only, again, my, when people talk to me about COVID, to me, COVID never created issues. It only exposed them. If there was a problem with an organization's infrastructure, COVID exposed it. Mm. If you had trouble going online, that's not COVID. That's the fact that you're not prepared to live in the modern age. Mm. And so COVID for me, you know, uh, putting all these things in, you know, I had to write all the COVID protocols for the athletic department. Um, That was a sink or swim moment for me. And that grew me a lot and let me know that I could do really hard things with, a school and a community's back against the wall. You know, nobody gave me input. I wrote a document that we all followed that summer and the following year, and I had to set uh, attendance protocols and guidelines and how many people could be at events. And I took some heat for that, but I did what I thought was right by the school in Harris County and all that. But from a basketball standpoint, I remember like, okay, we can't go live. It's we're back on court this summer, and we can't go live. So we are going to double dip the chip. I'm going to train. We were putting in the pistol series at that time. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to train you guys on how we're going to play. Here's the rules. Here's the action that you're going to run. And then my skills guy is going to take over and tell you the move to get there and how you're going to finish it. And we got to show this new, this was a really young group of kids and that was coming back. And we got, to, I remember the feedback we got was the coaching staff works together so well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's fun. I like that. So people got to see this, you know, this, I was no longer by myself. Like I had guys I could rely on that were great with kids and and really good at coaching. And they got to see us work together during COVID in a way they hadn't seen before because of what the times called for, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so, and by then I was starting to feel like, okay, how much longer do I want to be in a little private school, is there a bigger private school? Do I want to go back to UIL? Does this AD skill set I have, does it translate to a UIL AD or another athletic director job? And so, no, nah, COVID, uh, and then I, I started a YouTube channel over COVID and wound up being, wound up getting to present my dribble drive offense to about 30 coaches. So I just found another way to work basketball. Not to mention, I hate this, this is, this is sad to say, but uh, the shutdown was the most mentally healthy I'd been in a few years because mm-hmm. I'd been an athletic director with no off season and no summers off. And um, during COVID, I got to hop on Zoom meetings and take naps in between and play with my little girl that at times I hadn't gotten to play with her before. And mm-hmm. so COVID in a lot of ways revamped and altered my skill set in ways that I hadn't foreseen. And, you know, the... Um that whole shutdown. Um, I was frustrated as a an educator because there were still so many people that were only worried about their classroom. And they're only worried about the kids and their grades and so forth. And I was like, do you realize the whole nation is shutting down right now? It's bigger than nouns and verbs. It's bigger than the Pythagorean theorem or whatever it may be. Uh, uh, history or whatever. And... To, to be that angry with kids and to just continue to try to 
pile on work. And I was like, why are we doing this? For one, a lot of the teachers didn't know how to use technology from the very beginning, right? And and we just, boom, here you go. Here's technology. Everybody go. And I'm like, if we don't even know how to use it that well, then why are you trying to force these kids to do that? And they failed a handful of students. That really frustrated me. And I told my kids, and I would gladly tell this to any admin anywhere, I said, I'm worried about your mental well-being. I'm worried about, you know, all those other things. And, yes, it's right now after spring break and so forth. So basically it's April now when we finally start mm-hmm. talking to our kids again. And I'm, here's your assignment. Talk to me about your day. Write about it. Something like that. And then that's going to count for me that lets me know, you know, basically how things are. You're still attendant and pre- uh, attendance. You're, you're present. And so forth. Then let's move forward before I start trying to just stack them on with so much work. And it proved that, again, that very next year with the hybrid learning and so forth, there were there's so many gaps, mm-hmm. you know, and again, that a lot of kids never came back to school. I noticed that too. Yeah, I saw that in Pasadena. So my, you know, my role was different because I was the athletic director during COVID, mm-hmm. and so my days kind of followed a real similar path where I'd wake up and I'd have an admin meeting mm-hmm. on Zoom, and then that would take me up until about lunch. And then at lunchtime, when the kids had lunch, like they were still following the daily schedule. Like I'd hop on a Zoom meeting for first period, then this Zoom meeting for second period. And so I would meet with three or four kids during their lunch every day for about 10 minutes and check mm-hmm. on them, check on their mental health. Mm-hmm. And I became kind of a spy for the principal. Mm-hmm. Like who's really like the principal's big thing was like we need to meet synchronously as often as we can, which means hold class online as often as you can. And so who's not holding class? Who's piling on work to replace the fact that they're not really teaching? Mm-hmm. And so uh, that, was, that, was, that was fun to co- sort of be in that role for kids to, you know. I, I made a point to meet with every middle school and high school basketball player in my program weekly mm-hmm. during the shutdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some days I'd be on FaceTime with them and some days I'd be out walking and on my headset just talking to them. So... Um, you know, it looked different. And then the afternoon would be the projects, the if we boot back up, which we never were going to, but if, if sports are back up and running, what does it look like? All right, I got to talk to my track coach about here's what state will look like, blah, 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 blah. So, but yeah, it was, it was crazy, man. It was, it was. And, you know, here we are, fast forward, a, you know, a handful of years and it's closer to normal, but it's not, it's the new normal, mm-hmm. right? And now for, for, for me, I'm trying to, again, accomplish my goals, help the, the kids who were used to staying at home get back into, no, no, we are, you're present now, like physically present, and you can't just sit there because, you know, the computer, a lot of kids just sit there. And it's like, no, we're going to be present, going to be active, and I want to see you do well, grow, and then be better human beings in society, mm-hmm. right? And, and to me, that's the idea and that's the goal. And like you were saying earlier, it's about the kids, right? It's, it's, that's what it's really about. And, um, and coaching them up and getting the most out of them. And, and I can't wait to see this year coming up because we're going to play. Oh, yeah. We're gonna, we're gonna, we got a game schedule over Christmas break. We have a game schedule Get your popcorn Christmas ready. And, and I, I'm going to love to see what you're going to do with your, your group. Whether and again, I think it's going to be the same thing. Win or lose, it's like, hey man, you know, it's been fun. Love you, bro. Yeah. You know what I mean. I wish you the best. And then we we keep it moving and, and try to set up a, a rivalry or something mm-hmm. for for years to come, however long that that's going to take. And I want uh, I want.
want you to know, but you already know that whatever you need, you know, feel free, hit me up, let me know. Just like you give me some dribble drive notes, some notes you had from Mississippi one time. We went to the Nike clinic. We did, <laughs> right? we did. And, uh, and that was in Chicago, mm-hmm. right? And uh, you, myself, Nimi, we all went out and, and it was good just to be out and, and, and learn and we listened to Gino. Gino was so good. Some very simple drills, but it was the idea of these are the expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, and, if, and, and my last thing uh, for you, if you had to put on a coaching clinic, right? You have to put on a coaching clinic at TABC or, you know, Texas Association of Basketball Coaches or Texas High School Coaches Association. And they say you could talk about whatever. Last question. What do you talk about and why? Oh, man. So I would, I would begin with, uh, you know, coaches don't take yourself too seriously. Mm-hmm. Like, just because you learned under a guy that yells and screams doesn't mean you have to yell and scream. Like, these kids, whether they'll ever admit it to you or not, they need you to be you mm-hmm. more than they need you to be what you think a, a coach looks like. Mm-hmm. And they need you to be honest with them. And they are watching you more than they are listening to you. Mm. I th- people are always so down on today's kids. I think today's kids are so cool because they can spot a fake. Mm. They, can, oh, they can spot someone not being genuine to themselves. They can spot someone that isn't telling the truth to someone else. And so, like, that's job number one. Like, to coach is to always try to be the best version of you. Mm-hmm. Not to be, like, a, a lot of people want to be Bobby Knight and yell and scream. And I'm like, that's fine, but that I'm watching that kid. He hadn't listened to you for 30 minutes because the second you turn on this little persona you think you're supposed to have, he's out. Right. You know, so that's, that's where I begin. Mm-hmm. Then from there, like, you know, it's like what you and I talked about with Princeton the ability to play with concepts and not plays. Mm-hmm. The ability to coach a kid up to not need you when he's on the basketball court. And mm-hmm. if I ever get invited to one of those, like this last, this digital one I did over COVID was over dribble drive. You know, dribble at someone and they have this read or that read. And I've had some success coaching kids that way. Uh, and it's the most fun I've ever had coaching kids. And, you know, whatever that play and without plays looks like, in the next few years, that's, that's going to be the idea is I want to coach kids in such a way that they don't have to look at me for what to do. Because as Gino said, if they're bringing the ball off the court and they got to look at you for what to do, you suck as a coach. <laughs> that's, I've, I've thought, I think about that, what Gino said every day. listening to the job 87 podcast with your host jason campbell feel free to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends uh even if you'd love to be a guest on the show uh feel free to email me at coach campbell 7 at gmail.com and i'll love to have you on the show tell me what you like tell me what you did either way just know that job 87 says, and though your beginning was small, your latter days will be great. And that's what I wish for you all. Take care.